welcome to How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello and welcome to How I Got Here, Mosey on FocusWire's podcast about innovators in travel, transportation, and hospitality. Today we're joined by Avi Brosh. Avi is the founder and CEO of the Pali Society brand, a collection of about 18 boutique hotels across the United States that seek to deliver top-tier service while also being centers of their community. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, David. Thank you, Kevin, so much for uh, having me today. Looking forward to sharing my story uh, and hopefully some, some, you know, we'll find it interesting. So yeah, well, we, we like to start every, every one of these the same way with asking you the same question, which is, which is for you to tell us how you got here. That's a, that's a really profound question and I'm, I'll try and hit some of the high marks because um, it's been you know, quite a journey for me. Uh, I think you know, at a very high level, uh, I have a passion and, uh, and uh, for people, places and things and um, you know, there are obviously a lot of uh, industries that you can get into that perhaps get you closer to those. But um, through my uh, journey through uh, my business career, I've ended up in the hotel business, which is the personification of people, places and things. Uh, I come to the hotel business through the real estate development business. That was my entree into um, understanding the world uh, of uh, uh, how people react to buildings and, uh, and how they use them. And I parlayed that uh, experience into uh, opening my first hotel in 2007 after being in the real estate business for probably, uh, gosh, by then maybe 15 years or something like that. And um, I got into it a little bit uh, serendipitously. It wasn't necessarily on my radar to do but once i start once i got involved in the business to just i really took to it and i was able to use all of my uh skill set that i learned along the way in the real estate business but then my own natural proclivity towards uh the hospitality industry and tied them together and um sort of by now have created uh this really interesting network of hotels around the country very cool. So one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you today was because I feel like a Pali Society and its various brands underneath it um, kind of epitomize the trend to, towards more intimate community-centered lodging. Um, in New York, we have Ace Hotel. You're seeing a lot of these kind of Lifehouse as a brand. There's a lot of different brands popping up that are um, kind of almost the antithesis to Hilton and Marriott and more um, with community uh, and viewing their hotel lobby maybe more as community centers and less as just amenities for the people paying for the rooms. I, I'd, I'd love if you could expand a little bit on your kind of community-centric mindset. Absolutely. So the way to think about it um, really is that the hotel industry is, is very similar to a lot of other industries in that there tends to be consolidation that happens from time to time where smaller companies, uh, you know, create a, a, a collection of hotels and, and, and get consolidated into larger companies. And by virtue of that, there's an industrialization of 
the hotel business. And that's just a natural evolution. And it's happened uh, since the beginning of time where smaller hotels become, you know, part of larger hotel chains. And be, there's been a real run of that over the last 10 years. And the byproduct of it is that there's a whole customer base that still is yearning for very neighborhood centric hotels that really are connected to their neighborhoods. They speak to what's valuable about their community uh, and people in those local neighborhoods can champion them. And, and, you know, we are one of many that are doing that. Um, We have our own particular spin on it, but there are, there are now a a sort of a, a, a new crop of, of companies that are heavily focused in that direction. And the, and the reason is because the customer is, is telling uh, the lodging community that they don't want that to go away. So when, you know, boutique hotel companies become part of larger hotel companies and perhaps they lose a little bit of their uh, ability to connect to specific communities uh, doesn't mean that customer goes away. And so as long as there's a customer for it, I think you're going to continue to see that where you've got a, uh, a group of, of, of hotel companies that are still trying to uh, target that particular customer. And, um, and I think that we're one of, of a group that, that do quite well. So it's funny. I remember hearing a story actually about um, uh, Andre Balaj in the Standard Hotel about how he refused to have like conferences uh, or pharmaceutical like conferences or something like you just read that he was uh, would actively avoid them and this is you know obviously uh coming from the travel industry like, like huge like a lot of hotels seek those out and I, I remember hearing the reason was that like these are not cool and uh people to have <laughs> staying at your your spot and that was you know i remember one method for how he tried to like make his spots more more community oriented what like tactics have you used you know maybe similar to that um is it design is it like you know channel distribution to basically um, fight off the corporatization, I guess you could say, of the hotel industry? You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think that we, on some level, deploy the no name tags, no balloons philosophy uh, to a certain degree. I think, that, um, uh, I think that that's probably an extreme position, uh, but I think that there's a, there's a certain customer base out there that wants a, a, a more curated experience that speaks to them in a very specific kind of way. And typically that's from a design and placemaking perspective. Um, uh, obviously everyone likes good service, but when they go into a space, a brick and mortar space, they want to feel understood. And a lot of times that's through design and placemaking. And so uh, the way that we do it, the way that we are sort of speak to our customer is definitely through design. And I think through design, you can, uh, in essence, weed out a customer base that perhaps you're not pinpoint perfect for, uh, whether that's a pharmaceutical conference or whatever it might be. We, we happen to, um, because of the kinds of hotels that we do, we tend to not have a lot of conference space. We leave that to a much larger uh, hotels to do, and therefore they're getting a little bit more of the you know name tag and balloon crowd. Uh, but um, so I think you know that being said, I think there's an elegant way to do the kind of uh, banquets and events and special 
experiences that you might want to have at your particular hotel. They just tend to be slightly smaller in nature and, uh, and they're slightly more targeted to a specific uh, kind of uh, event itself because of, the, because of that nature. But um, I think uh, that story that you heard early on, I think is just, there's always room for contrarian view in any business. And I think that that was sort of the beginning of a contrarian, well, maybe not the beginning, but, uh, you know, sort of a, uh, a contrarian view, I think more to speak to a certain customer uh, than anything else. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know whether they're still doing that or not at standard, but, um, but my sense is they probably have, you know, that, that culture is probably still part of the equation on some basis, but I'm sure in a positive way. So I want to rewind a little bit here. Um, you mentioned you started Poly Society in 2007. You know, can you walk us how you went from one hotel to 18, 2007 to 2020? Yeah, absolutely can. So, um, the, the, my, I started it, it as a real estate developer and, um, uh, or I started in the real estate business, I would say in the development business. And I worked my, my way up essentially in, you know, working for other people for a long time. And, um, and actually when I started the company, uh, it was a development company and we weren't in the hotel business at all. And, uh, just sort of serendipitously, the way that I actually got into it is sort of a uh, sort of random, and that is that uh, we developed and built a project in West Hollywood in Los Angeles here, and it was sort of a boutique residential condominium project. And uh, at the time when we were marketing the project, we had these model units, these show units that people would come and tour. Uh, when they were open to the public for people that wanted to buy. And I was in there one day, right when we first opened up and a young couple was walking through and they commented to themselves that if they, if this was a hotel and this, if this building was, you know, if this unit was a hotel room and there was a little lobby and a cafe on the ground floor that they thought that that would be really uh, interesting and uh, a great idea. And, I just sort of had an aha moment at that time. And I thought to myself, well, you know, that's an actually a very exciting idea. I didn't really know what being in the hotel business meant, but I thought that maybe I could take my skill set and my experience that I had sort of garnered to date and you'd use that uh, and try to open my own version of what a hotel was. And that's, uh, I embarked on that process, I think, in 2004 or five, and by 2000, late 2007, early 2008, I opened my first hotel, uh, not too far from that particular building called Pally House West Hollywood. And, uh, you know, at the beginning, uh, I decided that instead of having a third party come and operate the hotel for me, that I was going to do it myself. And the reason I wanted to do it myself is I, I sort of had a very particular point of view about what I thought this particular hotel could be or should be. And that included, you know, running the restaurant and, and, and the event space, not really event space, but like a sort of, we had a very robust bar scene and sort of, I had the, at that time, I sort of had a vision for what I thought that should be from an outsider's point of view. 
And, I, you know, I used that experience. And, and keep in mind, at the time, I was also still developing real estate and my, uh, you know, as part of my sort of legacy company. And I just dove in and learned the business in 2007 and 2008 and 2009. And, and I basically, at that point, um, just figured out what it was to, to have a hotel. And, you know, I'm sort of glossing over all of the treachery and, you know, the learning on the job part that I, you know, I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs go through when they, they think it's a good idea. And there's obviously a lot of pitfalls. And I suppose if I knew what I was getting into, I perhaps may not have actually have done it uh, because it is really quite challenging. But so I, I, I learned it from the ground up. I spent uh, three years just learning the hotel business while I was sort of still, you know, doing other things. And in 2011, I had an opportunity to do another hotel um, that uh, sort of was a unique set of circumstances. And I, I opened my second hotel uh, and dove into that. And, was this the Santa Monica one? Uh, no, this one was in, on Melrose. This was called Pally Hotel on Melrose Avenue. Uh, and I didn't even know if that was going to work or not. It was a little bit of a, of a, you know, the first one was, was quite successful, but I, you know, it's very hard to repeat, you know, it's like everything else, you know, you, 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 perhaps you're getting lucky for whatever, for whatever reason, the hotel gods were with me. Uh, but the question is, can you do it again? Uh, and so uh, went out and, and just, you know, uh, bootstrapped another hotel project uh, at the time, uh, keeping in mind that I had a lot of development experience and construction experience and, and capital markets experience by then. So even though it was a bootstrapping kind of experience, I, I, I did it from a very educated point of view. But I opened my second hotel in 2011, leveraged uh, those two hotels to be able to open my third, which was the Santa Monica Pally House in 2013. And so now I had a little collection of, of, of three hotels, all in relatively close proximity to each other, and utilized the next couple of years to figure out what it was like to have a mini hotel company. It was a small collection. We were a small regional operator. We were doing all the food and beverage, all the operations, and built a small little team and we were very successful and we were very successful i think because we were very targeted in what we were doing and uh and whatever mistakes we were making along the way we were really did a good job to that the customer was not experiencing them they were maybe more uh growing pains internally about building a brand and and building a company and right around 2015, 2016, um, I had a little. I had a little bit of a. Uh, I had a little bit of an epiphany, I guess. And the epiphany was that the first three hotels that I did, I sort of created for myself. And what I mean by that is, people don't just give you hotel projects to operate. Uh, when you don't have any experience and when you don't have a brand and you don't really have anything other than, you know, uh, perhaps some passion. But uh, I sort of coming from a real estate development 
uh, mindset. And by having made my first three hotels myself, I just thought that my destiny was to continue to build my own hotels for myself. And that was just the way that it was going to be. But um, what's, what happened was that somebody approached me to do a hotel for them, utilizing our brand uh, and be more of a gun for hire than the actual sponsor of the project. And I, for some reason, uh, maybe I was a little slow to the slow to the game, or maybe I was just so conditioned by then that I never even thought that that was a possibility. So we ended up putting together, uh, uh, we made an, uh, uh, an arrangement with this particular owner to do a project for them uh, where we designed the hotel and we would operate it and, and we would not take on the heavy lifting and we would not take on the sponsor position. And that just opened up a floodgate of new opportunities. And so, you know, by the time uh, we closed out 2019, uh, you know, uh, I think in between 2017 and 2019, we, we opened uh, six hotels, so, which is a, quite a clip. And so we utilized that momentum to, to create a, a large, quite a large platform. And, uh, and that's sort of the abridged version of, of how we went from uh, sort of a, an idea to having a, a bona fide uh, you know, portfolio of hotels. Uh, Abby, it's uh, Kev here in the UK. Thanks, um, thanks for joining us. There's loads of things to kind of follow up on there. I, I'm interested. That you said you know you kind of almost by accident found yourself in the hotel business, and you took, you know, you decided to create that first one, and you didn't have any experience. I mean, as anyone who's listening and will know, you know, there's everything from managing food and beverage to revenue management to distribution to marketing and all those kind of things. I mean, how did you as a non-hospitality executive kind of wrap your head around how to kind of deal with all those tasks? Did you just yeah. surround yourself with people that did have experience or, or were you all in this kind of, uh, let's just see what happens kind of thing? You know, it's a great question. I think if I look back on it now, I think that I had the luxury of having had a lot of success developing real estate and having partners and lenders and, and, and people in my orbit that, um, you know, I had been successful with and they'd been successful with me with respect to, you know, whether it's banks or investors and having had made money. And so I, I had the confidence of being able to execute. Like I knew I could build the building and I knew that I could, um, sort of use my capital, uh, political capital, or my capital that I had with lenders and investors to that would sort of take a little bit of a flyer with me to do more of a hotel project than a than a traditional, let's just say condominium or whatever project that I was doing at the time. So I had that, uh, which is a huge leg up. So I didn't have to necessarily go um, and do a lot of prospecting for raising capital, which I think is a huge plus. Uh, that's number one. Number two is, you know, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. So I always had a deep belief in my ability. I, I suppose I would say I, would, I had 75% belief. So that made me, gave me a certain level of comfort and 25% scared to death, which... <laughs> Which, which really fueled my, 
ambition because I just was not willing to fail. And I think lastly, I just wasn't afraid. You know, I, I wasn't scared to do it. I, I knew what I liked uh, as, a, as a customer of hotels. I knew I had, a, I had deep local knowledge and I knew what was missing in the market for the, this particular hotel that I was doing. Yeah. And I knew that if, and I, and I knew that if I delivered on my vision come hell or high water, that I was going to be successful. And, uh, and I knew that I was going to be able to attract a certain customer. I didn't know what that really meant. Meaning I didn't know anything about once somebody walked in the door and met a reserv- you know, made a reservation, what actually happens after that? But, <laughs> but, you know, I will say that early days I did have a, I surrounded myself with a couple people that knew enough to allow me the opportunity to, to open the first property and that I didn't make any, you know, egregious errors in terms of process and what have you. Um, so that's, that is, uh, that's sort of how I, that was sort of my mindset at the time. I, I, I'm interested, Avi, you talked about your previous career, if we can call it that, in real estate. Um, I don't know if you studied design at school or you did design at high school or, or university or anything like that, but everything that's written about you and you know, everything is about a design aesthetic and all that kind yeah. of thing. Um, how intrinsically do you get involved in the minutiae of the actual design or do you again bring in people that you know are you know shit hot designers that are going to be in tune with what you what they think you want from a design of a property that's a fantastic that's a great question and the answer is and i know this is gonna be hard to you know, people don't believe me when I say this, but I design everything. So, okay. uh, uh, in terms of the in terms of the um, interiors component, all of the placemaking aspects of it, and uh, at the very beginning, I had other people come in and help me because I didn't have my own design studio at the time. It was just me with a bunch of ideas. So I I surrounded myself with some some people that were really talented and helped me think it through. And I would say that the the biggest mistakes that I made in the, at the beginning were, were in the first hotel, were actually listening to other people uh, uh, in terms of the design pro, uh, prospect. Because uh, I, you know, you, if you are, uh, if you've never done it before and you think that other people have, a lot of times you obviously are taking, you know, you're taking uh, input from them. And I think what I learned uh, on my go, going forward projects was to actually have no input from anybody uh, in terms of what, what I wanted to do. Um, I think that what I would say is that I have always had a very specific design aesthetic my whole life. Uh, it's not something that I'm trained in in any way. Right. It's not something that uh, I studied. Uh, and even today, I struggle because I don't have the vernacular on the design side. If I trying to explain to um, one of the uh, people in our design studio about how I want to make a project going forward. I have to kind of point to stuff and cause I don't have the vernacular about what it is. But um, I think one of the, one of the things about our projects is that there are very irreverent in terms of their design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it that way. And that's because they're not at all uh, formulaic. There's no design by committee. 
uh, and they're not rooted in any um, legacy design norms. And so that's just something that I, 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 I've always done from the very beginning. And you talk about, or it, it's often written about the, these hotels, that they are you know, in step with the community and they're places that you want the community to come in and enjoy in the bars and all those kind of things. How do you go about doing your community discovery or you know, customer discovery about how you want to design them? Is it based on the existing architecture of where it sits on the streets or is it about the people and the types of industries that are in a particular area you know is it full of lots of designy type people and startup people or is it high-end city type you know finance people my process is a little i don't know how other people do it so it's hard for me my, right. my process my process is a little uh different i suppose and my process is that yes all of those things i suppose on some level filter into my thinking but really the way that i go about placemaking, uh, and I don't really, you know, I, call, I, I guess design is the right word I, to a certain degree, but I, what I really am thinking about is I create a narrative for something about the hotel, whether it's uh, an, uh, a fictitious owner, prior owner, or a, uh, you know, who, what is the local tribe in the, in the community or who, who, something about it that allows me to tell a story about what a hotel is or shouldn't be. I'll give you a perfect example. When I was uh, thinking about our hotel in Seattle, my idea that I was thinking to myself for the hotel rooms was to create a guest room in of a perhaps your sort of uh, nutty aunt had a guest room over her garage in the back of her house in Seattle. What does that feel like? You know, does it have heirlooms in it? What's the color scheme? What and like it would be a place that you would absolutely love to stay, and it's so great. She doesn't even know how great it is. Uh, <laughs> so I sort of that was my inspiration and the story that I told for the hotel rooms and that trickled down into the rest of the space. So something like that. And that's, you know, that's hard to explain to an institutional partner uh, because it's, it is so esoteric, but you know, um, because I created my own hotels myself with no filter uh, I proved my ability to use those narratives to be able to create the spaces. And so now I don't really get any input, uh, you know, from our partners about creating the spaces because they have been incredibly well received. So every hotel that I'm involved in has a weird story like that connected to it. Now, I'm not doing a story. The, the story that I'm telling is not I'm not trying to create, you know, an African safari theme in, uh, you know, Portland. I don't think that that's a connection. Right. I, I, I don't like that, but what I, what I do like is to tell a story about something that's local and allow that to not be too on the nose about the community that we're in, because I think a lot of times people can get very on the nose about a design, like a surfboard in a beach town, which I think that's too, that's too lazy from my perspective, but I do like to you know, I do like to, at the very least, 
you know, if you're doing something in Miami, I think you should feel like you're in Miami, but there should be a story connected to it, which is quirky. Kevin kind of asked part of this question and you answered kind of half of it, which is kind of like, how do you scale? And, and you, I think you started touching on that, right? So many of these brands that we now look at as thinking super, you know, uh, stale um, at some point were, you know, uh, small and potentially vibrant before they got stale. And uh, you just went through this big transformation going from three to 18. And I think, you know, you answered half this question, which is kind of like you're staying very personally involved and each one has a, a new persona that's distinct from the last one while tying into, into the city. But maybe you can just elaborate a little bit more on how you've thought about, because at some point, right, are you, are, well, are you currently the, the bottleneck then to every hotel then if you're doing it? Or how, how have you thought about systematizing this? That's a great, thank you for asking that question because I get asked that question a lot. I, am, I never hold up the process, ever. Um, and the reason is, is that I have so much experience in terms of budget and timeline. And you know, I, before I built my first hotel, I developed over 2 million square feet of, of real estate in my career. And so I understand what it's like to you know, be on a really fast train. So the way that I do it now is we've created a studio internally uh, and that studio essentially executes my ideas as we go along. And so what I have the luxury of being now is the ability to point the studio in a direction and, and to be a little bit more of an editor than I am an actually originator of, 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 of concepting. I can sort of push people in the right direction. But by having specific brand, what that really does is it also allows you to recreate a lot of or repeat a lot of the things that make hotels very challenging to do, which is what we, you know, we call OS&E, which is you know, a lot of the, you know, the pencils, the pads, the uniforms, the, you know, all the little minutia pieces, and there's thousands of them. But when you have a brand and a brand platform, that kind of goes away because you can sort of reutilize that. You're obviously improving it over time, but you're improving it in small increments. But once you've created that, you can re recreate that. And by me having the ability to tell a story about a hotel and be very specific about how I want it to look and feel, we, I, I, we can be very prolific in terms of the placemaking and creating that. I, just to jump in here for a second, Effie, and I ask this as respectfully as I can. Please, you can go downtown with me. <laughs> okay. Do, do you find it difficult to trust people? And I ask that because... There is, I would imagine there's so much trust that you have to put in people for them to replicate your vision or your idea about something. You know, you are the filter with which things eventually go out to a property. But do you find that it takes a while for you to find the right people or trust the right people to take that vision forward? You know, no one's ever asked me that question before. Uh, the answer is uh, probably, it's pro uh, probably perhaps a little bit of the opposite where mm -hmm. I probably go into, I still am going into almost all of my, uh, you know, professional collaborations with a lot, with a very open mind and a lot of trust on the design side. What I have found is I, I, I have this incredible team right now where there's a lot of trust, meaning that, uh, there, there's a, a, a there's a sort of a, a rhythm by which we, we can work 
and create special stuff. So I, you know, I, I really, I, I, as we've gotten, as we've grown as a company, we've been able to attract better talent. And when you get better talent, um, you know, you can have more trust. And, uh, so, but for many years, you know, there was a, a period of time where, you know, the small group of people that I started with, we were doing everything. And so I think it took, I, when we started to grow, I think it was definitely challenging to bring people, new people on. And we definitely had to try a lot of different people on for size because most people came from very traditional lodging backgrounds and our approach was so esoteric, I guess, in a way, or was very, uh, uh, we were we were very lean and mean, and and a lot of people don't know how to be successful in that atmosphere. So we we struggled, I think, early days with trying to find people that shared the same those same values. But again, the growth has allowed us to uh, have a deeper bench and a lot more talent, and it's been incredibly refreshing to have some really great people on the team. But I would say overall, I'm not that jaded. I I could be I suppose I used to be more but I I think now I'm uh, there's we've got some absolutely we've got an incredible team I know you hear this all the time I'm sure you hear about the team thing and I will I would always think to myself oh gosh you know I, I what the hell are these people talking about but um, now now uh, it's so true when, when you when you've got great people uh, as part of your team uh, it just uh, you know really you're able to 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 just be a lot better at executing. So I wanted to, to go back to kind of, you mentioned you kind of assembled your first three kind of in a more traditional way, you, you know, kind of uh, taking the property over yourself, you said kind of being the, um, taking the biggest risk. Um, and then for the rest of them, you haven't. And I think there's, you know, the word franchising is kind of a dirty word at times because it evokes like Starbucks and McDonald's standardization, but there's a lot of different ways to kind of uh, do things like that and manage it elegantly. So could you maybe give us some more details about how you went from three to 18 on a kind of maybe more business financial side and when it comes to structure and how, and how did you negotiate those deals? Yeah. So the good news about, uh, about the hotel business is that there are a lot of industry standards about uh, the way that hotel management agreements are set up. There's a lot of hotels. Most hotels are set up where there's an ownership group and then an operating group. And the lion's share of the operating groups tend to be very large flagged hotels that own thousands of, you know, they operate thousands, thousands of hotels and millions and millions of hotel rooms. And then, you know, frankly, there's those people and then kind of everybody else. There's a precipitous drop uh, between the very largest and then everybody else. It's like a huge, huge drop. And when you're, uh, more of an independent operator there's a whole uh, there's a whole world out there of what we call hotel management agreements or hotel operating agreements and and to be honest when i when I was doing my first prop properties that i wasn 't actually doing all the heavy lifting i wasn 't even that familiar with those myself um, but uh, you get real familiar real fast. Uh, because it's a very, you know, operating a hotel is a very complex uh, enterprise, even for small ones, because there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of things that you have to 
talk about up front before you set foot in there, especially if you're growing a brand. But the good news, as I said, you know, there is a sort of an industry standard about what that looks like. And then within that, the nuance of that, there are little things that change depending on what's valuable to the operator or what's valuable to the owner. And so there are sort of little differences that occur within them, things like how long they are, whether you can cancel them or not, um, obviously what your fee is, although the fee is pretty industry standard as well, depending on the size of the hotel. So I didn't have to recreate anything there uh, other than what I did have to do. And now, now this is, you know, and sort of as a, if you hold that out for a second to go back on the real estate side, you know, I, real estate structuring was something that I came to the hotel business with a lot of experience in. So one of the things that, was interesting was that even though perhaps I wasn't the sponsor or doing the heavy lifting or wasn't the developer of the new hotels that we were doing beyond the original three, I and my team were able to provide a lot of value and input to the process because most of the time we were getting involved in hotels where we had the most development experience out of everybody sitting at the table. So we were able to, I think, be very accretive to the process, which I loved. I, I loved being able to say, hey, you know, in my experience, this is the best way about approaching that. And so we were able to add that value. Uh, the hotel management agreements uh, stuff we talked about. Uh, and so we get really proficient in how to provide service, to be a service provider. You, you have to learn how to transition into being a service provider uh, as part of your skill set, and uh, you know, and there's a there's you know, we just we just happen to do it a, a little bit different, and I'm happy to to jump into that too. Well, so I'm actually curious on that. So I, I from my experience, sometimes once you get onto one side here, I, I've I've. I've dealt with people who operate who go, why would you ever own the property? And people who uh, own the property goes like, well, you know, why would you not own the property? That's where all the real estate value accrues to, depending on kind of, you know, what uh, side yeah. of the coin you're on. Like now that you've kind of transitioned away from doing the heavy lifting, as you, you, you described it, would you ever go back and, and buy hotels or have you kind of permanently switched to this model where you think it's more efficient to scale the other way? You know, the, the answer is that I would consider our model to be asset medium. Most people are, Asset, in, our, in my business are mostly asset light where they own no real estate or, or very little. And, and some people are like to de own, develop, own, and operate their own assets at two extremes of the, of the equation. Uh, the, the issue with being the developer and to owning the, the hotels is that that's a, that's a real bottleneck, right? Because you can only operate as many hotels as you can, you know, uh, uh, find, uh, acquire, finance, build, you know, develop, construct, and open. So that's a huge bottleneck. For us, uh, uh, by finding local partners in the communities that we're in that have deep local knowledge and that play the developer role, it gives us so much more uh, bandwidth to design, uh, open, and operate these hotels. And I think we can become a much better clear-headed partner that being said sometimes we do uh uh are part of the sponsorship team uh because the opportunity presents itself sometimes we make an investment in the 
in the projects themselves. And sometimes we're just a gun for hire. I think I really like that model because I think it, it gives us flexibility to um, not have absolutes in terms of our approach. In all instances, we're always designing the hotels and we're always operating them. Uh, and so there's continuity that way. But I don't, I don't necessarily, I'm not a huge fan of hard and fast rules, especially for someone like myself who has a lot of, 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 of real estate experience and can bring you know, that to the table. So I don't really have a hard and fast rule one way or the other. The, the one thing that we do stay away from for sure is we don't like to be the actual developer of the projects themselves because that's a completely different skill set. And having a lot of experience there, I know that that would really hold us up from growing our brand. You said right at the beginning, Avi, uh, when you answered our first question and you said, you know, these are some of the high marks. And for fear of being a journalist that's always looking for a negative story, I mean, I've been interested if you could highlight some of the low marks that you've had along the way and how you kind of got over them. That's another great question, Kev. So here's what I would say. I think that when you're building a business and you're uh, even in an industry that's fairly well known you're, and you're par- carving your own path, I think that you make a lot of mistakes not because you are purposely making bad decisions. I think you are making the best decisions that you can at the time, but sometimes they're not the right ones. And I think that there have been moments where, uh, you know, things that either happen that are within your control or outside of your control uh, that every entrepreneur has to go through that are very, very gut-wrenching. And uh, whether, you know, oh my gosh, just, sort of getting up close and personal with, with what uh, people actually do in hotels that, you know, are beyond your wildest expectations, for example, and trying to figure out how to deal with that and creating a set of SOPs related to the crazy shit that people do in hotels or more profound, the crazy shit that people that work at hotels do <laughs> and, and, you know, getting your arms around that and not in coming to it without really that perspective. I mean, it was a real, you know, it's a real, it's a, you know, you need to have your, you need to have a really strong set of rules uh, related to how you handle all of that. And when you're carving your own path, you, the only way you get there is by, you know, uh, going to the haunted house and, you know, you, you not know when someone's going to come out of the corner and scare the crap out of you. It's sort of like that, you know, and it's just, it's a lot, you have to really want to do it. It's like any other business. Uh, you have to really want to do, you have to be passionate about it. You have to be able to shrug off, uh, you know, some stuff that you don't really, you never even in your wildest dreams thought you'd have to deal with. So, you know, I would say that there's just lots of little things that kind of come up. Yeah. that you have to navigate around. And, and this is a, a little question for us to, uh, to finish on, if we can, Avi. It's almost impossible to read a story about you or an article about a new launch that doesn't mention how you dress. You're always <laughs> talking about your snappy suits and he looks immaculate. I, I wonder whether, is that the brand following you or is that you living the brand or is that just the way you've always been? You know, it's... Uh, it's the brand following me for sure. I, I've always had 
a, a sense for style. Uh, right. And it's just something that I was born with. And it's just always been part of my life. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the one, one of the things I miss about COVID is, you know, uh, not having an opportunity to, uh, to get out there in the world, but, um, and to, and to wear some of the clothes, but, but no, I, I think that, you know, it's part of my, uh, it's part of my DNA is to just, you know, try and bring some style to everything that I do, at least my own personal style. And I'm not saying it's, you know, for everybody, but, uh, but it's definitely something that I, it's important to me and, uh, I definitely bringing into the hotels. Okay. Uh, Abby Broach, thank you very much. That was a, a really interesting interview. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Okay. Uh, you've been listening to another episode of How I Got Here. That's uh, uh, Mozio and Focuswire's uh, weekly podcast where we talk to the innovators and entrepreneurs in travel, tourism, and hospitality. If you're not a uh, subscriber to this podcast already, you can do so by finding it on all the usual places. That's iTunes, uh, Spotify, Alexa, Google Podcasts, all those places. Go on there, subscribe. You'll get the next episode in your inbox every week. So uh, once again, thanks again to Avi. And on behalf of David and I, thank you very much to everybody for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. For listening to How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages and get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.